Welcome to the Rainbows and Rain podcast, the podcast for early interventionists, where you'll hear stories, reflection, and coaching from the field. My name is Erica, and I'm an early intervention teacher in Minnesota. This podcast is about connecting through stories and reflecting on our practices during visits. Hear how I try to put best practice and research to work on the road and on real visits, looking to find humor in it all. I hope this podcast helps you connect and reflect on your own visits and interactions with families. Rainbows and Rain is available wherever podcasts are listened to, so please share it with your friends in early intervention. While you are listening, please rate and review the podcast um, wherever you're listening, and that only helps grow the R&R, or as I like to call it, Rainbows and Rain community, and it gets the podcast in front of more people, so please do that. Um, You can also check out the podcast on Instagram at rainbows underscore rain underscore podcast. And it is on Teachers Pay Teachers. So if you are looking for resources that support coaching on visits with families and what you're doing, um, there's a communication series. There is a sensory series. There is a feeding series coming soon. So you can check that out on Teachers Pay Teachers. And the store is called All Things Early Intervention. I had a request recently to podcast about strategies. There's a lot of people listening that are new to early intervention and want to hear more about strategies used with families and caregivers and and children. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about, I've mentioned it on previous podcasts, but the Building Preverbal Communication and Engagement book that I've been using this year has been really crucial in how I explain early communication, pre-verbal communication, and the social aspect of communication. I it's been it's really good. It's in its first edition. It's through Brooks. It's published through Brooks. It is good. It does come with handouts for families. It does come with videos and things like that. Um, to view once you purchase the book. Um, I've kind of ebbed and flowed with the resources though. Um, like many of you this year, if the, my store on teachers pay teachers was kind of born out of a need, a desperate need of searching for something that would pair my coaching style and what I'm doing on visits in a way that parents understand. So, so many resources we have access to or so many things we've learned as professionals need to be translated into everyday language that parents can understand and um, take hold of and put into practice when we're not there. So I really do like the book. Um, I am using all of the strategies, but, um, yeah. So check out teachers pay teachers, all things, early intervention. There is a communication series. There's a couple handouts loosely based on, um, some of the practices from that book, but that book gives you a really solid foundation on where to start with your families and kids that are struggling. 
So as far as what strategies I am using or use on visits, it it really depends on what we're talking about and what the skill is that we're talking about. Um, But I'm going to use this as an example because it's kind of, I run into it every day and I use it every day because it's communication and communication happens everywhere, every day. So it's the idea that um, parents want their kids to talk. I want them to talk. They're not talking. I want them to talk. Um, and I I have so many kids on my caseload right now who are talking but not communicating. I have a 21-month-old that can count to 10 but will not tell her mom all done, more, um, anything like that. But she can count to 10. And... You know, there's, we're seeing more and more, I think, of a trend, at least I am on my caseload. And I don't know what's happening or why it's happening. I'm not sure what to call it yet, um, whether it's Gestalt language processing, truly delayed echolalia, um, whatever it is, I'm, I'm seeing less immediate echolalia and more delayed echolalia and like, whether it's Gestalt language processing or not, I'm not completely sure since that's something new for me learning about, but definitely it's what I see. I have another student, hi, how are you? He'll say that. But again, he won't request milk or respond to his mom if she says, are you hungry? Or do you want apple or banana? But he can walk across this room and say, hi, how are you? Now, I think there's definitely a purpose to what he's doing. Um, it's just maybe not a, as clear as a message or as intentional as, an, as a message as it could be. I follow an account on Instagram called Joyful Speech with Them. She is an autistic uh, SLP. She's great. I love the content she puts out there. It looks like she works in early intervention too. We're looking at possibly collaborating on some of this, but she put out a reel the other day asking this very question. And I thought that was like, wow, other people see it too. (laughs) So um, I I don't know. I don't know if it's the screen time. I, I don't know if it's just a rise in just like speech language disorders, but, um, you know, I'm not seeing the traditional late talker. Um, she was kind of posing that question. So check out her Instagram, uh, joyful speech with them. She's an autistic SLP, um, fabulous content there. Okay. So now let's dive into these strategies. Um, so when I get a new family or a new student and the first thing parents are saying is, I want them to talk. I want him or her to talk. Um, Communication is our priority. Talking is our priority. But I know those foundational skills aren't there yet. Um, Or there's some social things that are an obstacle with communicating because communication is a social um, activity, typically. Obviously, the communication I'm doing right now isn't to, isn't really social because there's no one responding back to me immediately while I talk. 
It's just me talking. So there is talking just to talk like this. Um, but typically when parents are saying, I want them to talk, we were, they're saying we want them to communicate. We want them to respond. So I immediately follow it up with as many reflective questions as I can. So I can lead the parents down the path where I am, you know, like we're at one, I'm at one end of the path and they're at the other end of the path. We need to somehow meet closer together. And instead of me just telling them how to get to where I am, I want them to find their way. So I will ask things like, tell me how they're communicating now. Tell me if they're not using words, I'll say, okay, then how are, how are they using gestures? How do you know what they want? Um, do they lead you? Do they go to the area they want you to go to? Now, those, of course, are yes, no questions. But there's some, like, I don't, some people will say a reflective question is not a yes, no question. But I disagree. I think there are some really good yes, no questions that can get parents thinking and that can follow up with a more open-ended question. So for example, are they using words to communicate? No. Tell me how they're communicating with their voice. So is it sounds? Is it screaming? Is it whining? Like what is it? So those are typically what I first do right off the bat. So we're looking at, if we're not looking at talking, we're looking at voice, vocalizations, being intentional with their um, behaviors with their body, with reaching, with gestures, with signing, with showing, bringing, leading, all of those things. Like we want to figure out exactly where their child is at, what they're using, and what are those missing links um, that we want to focus on to get them to the next step that will lead to talking to communicate. Um, eye gaze is huge in the pre, uh, building pre-verbal communication and engagement. It's called using triadic gaze. Um, triadic gaze is not eye contact. So I want to first say that triadic gaze, um, well, before we get to even triadic gaze, they break it down into three categories, single focus, dual focus, triadic focus. So when I am talking with a family or working with a family, I want to first find out, okay, you want them to talk. How are they responding to your voice when you say something or call their name or um, use a phrase? Are they looking to you? Are they looking to the object you're talking to? What are they doing in response to you? That is what's called single focus, looking and sustaining a gaze to a person or looking and sustaining a gaze to an object. And of course, there's following a moving object. Um, So that's single focus and what we typically call like responding. So how are they responding? But we need to break it down. So that's where I go first when when I'm working with families and parents. A uh, dual focus is looking back and forth between two objects. So it's the whole, do you want apple or banana? Do you want milk or water? Do you want book or 
ball, you know, whatever, whatever the objects are, are they able to look back and forth between those objects? Just respond to, hey, I'm looking at two things, two objects, two pictures, two whatever. Um, So that's dual focus. The other dual focus is looking from object to person or person to object. So let's say, do you want your milk? Are they able to look at me or the caregiver and look back to the milk? Or can they look to the milk and then to me or the caregiver knowing she's the key to getting my milk? Um, Or connecting with me as a person who will give them their milk because I'm holding it or the caregiver is holding it. So that's what's called dual focus. It just goes from one object or person to another object or person. Um, And then triadic focus puts it all together. So it's looking back and forth between object and person um, and object. So just looking back and forth. Are they able to look back and forth between the two objects and me, or the object, me, the object, or caregiver, object, caregiver, object, caregiver, object, whatever it is, they're able to just look back and forth. So that's that triadic focus. We're looking for that. I think what's, I think is auditory processing. Like, are they processing what they're hearing and what they're seeing? Because an eyes and ears work together. I have several of these kids on my caseload where that's literally all we're working on right now, that responding. If we get other things, it's a great bonus. Um, but that's that's what we're looking for. We're looking for eye gaze. Um, other early communication behaviors from the book talk about vocalizations. So from eye gaze, we move to vocalizations. From vocalizations, typically we move to gestures. So it's things like ba 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 ma 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 da, you know, those consonant vowel combinations of different types. Um, those early sounds, squealing, fussing, cooing, crying, those kind of things. And even later word approximations. So mo for more, obviously, um, bubba for bye-bye and so forth. So, and all of this can be happening all at once. So it's not to say that one needs to be achieved before the other. That's typically not what I see at all. I see inconsistencies across all stages, if you want to call them stages. And then gestures, we're looking for leaning, reaching, pointing, giving, um, using intention. So like, what, what does that mean? I have a great, this just triggered a great story of mine. I'm working with a family right now. He is two and a half. He is pre-verbal. So not using words to communicate. It's mainly kind of crying, hand leading, um, things like that. We did a visit outside a few weeks ago. So typically we're inside, but when I arrived at the home, we were inside or I'm sorry, outside. And he was doing chalk on the driveway with his mom. And, um, she's like, should we go inside? I'm like, no, this is great. So 
this is just a little side note, go where the family is. If you arrive and the family is already engaged in an activity outside, you join. Like that you you want it to be, if you're new to early intervention, um, you want to do whatever they are doing if you weren't there. So I arrived there outside. We can be outside. Um, he was using chalk. So it was really interesting. Watch him. He's really, oh, he's really just in that sensory motor stage of learning. Um, he's and social interactions are really, really difficult for him. So for example, when mom would draw something on the driveway, he would look at it and then turn around and do the same thing. So even that imitation, that immediate imitation and back and forth imitation was hard for him. He had to like physically turn his body to do it. But um, he ran out of chalk and he at one point walked away from his mom. And as I was watching him and talking to her, I saw him intentionally use the help sign. And I was like, did you just see that? And she's like, what? And I'm like, I think he just signed help. And then we kind of watched and she prompted him and she, you know, said his name. And then do you want chalk and held out the chalk? And he came and got the chalk. And then it happened again in the visit where he was, he went to her hand. There was no chalk this time. Um, because he had used it all. And she's, she showed him, like, it's all gone. There's no more. And he walked away from her and signed more. And I was like, did you just see that? <laughs> and she's like, what? I'm like, I think he just signed more. But his he's not doing it in front of you. But I'm pretty sure it's intentional. So it wasn't super obvious that he was communicating But what was obvious, if you watched him, he was being super intentional because I saw these signs that he was doing um, throughout the whole visit. Uh, At one point, he went to his trike, kind of grabbed his trike and signed, please. And I said, did you see that? (laughs) Did you see that again? But he wasn't looking to us. So mom and I had a discussion on being more observant of him and patient and really watching him um, to kind of pick up on those signs or those communication cues that we might be missing from him. We know social interaction is very difficult. Um, Very, in fact. So, Uh, being outside kind of brought out new motivators, I think, for him. Because when he is outside, he knows he needs his mom to go for a trike ride. He knows he needs his mom because she has the chalk. So, and that's really motivating to him, drawing. And he was very intentional and had a very... um, good plan and what he was doing and drawing. So that was kind of fun to see. But 
Um, so how did I get this sidetracked? I don't remember. I think it was about intention, like looking for intentional communication in this story that the intentional communication was super subtle. So it's looking like mom wasn't even noticing it. It took me using my observation skills and really giving mom that feedback. Like this is what I'm seeing. And I've seen it now a number of times where I believe it's now intentional. What do you think? And she's like, well, I do those signs all the time, but he doesn't do them back to me. I'm like, nope, he's not doing them back to you, but he's doing them. So great story. So to kind of just recap these strategies that um, someone asked me to share, it's using reflective questions in the beginning to get parents to see the road we're taking, see the roadmap we're going to be taking. Um, I know where we need to go. I'm already there. I already know what to do. But they don't. So instead of me telling them, it's all about kind of showing, getting them to answer their own questions almost. Like, okay, if we want him to talk, we should probably look, we should probably work on having them make choices, work on that nonverbal communication. I use that phrase a lot. Nonverbal communication will come before verbal communication. We need to establish those nonverbals first if we want the verbal communication to come. Sometimes that gets me more buy-in versus tackling the social aspect of communication. Um, I, I don't know why, but but it has... Okay, so I'm going to circle all the way back to the beginning. I mentioned I have a 21-month-old on my caseload who can count to 10, but cannot say more or all done or, you know, I want that or whatever. I did a mealtime visit with the OT I work with last week and because she wanted to work on um, some feeding things. And while we were working on some feeding things, I noticed she's using a lot of communication during mealtime. So she is in a high chair, if you can picture a child at a high chair and a kitchen island and mom's sitting at the kitchen island. Mom is eating her lunch and child is eating her lunch in the high chair. They're not facing each other. They're kind of sitting at the corner of the kitchen island Child is looking at the television across the way um, in the living room. It's an open floor plan. Um, but mom is definitely with her, next to her. Food is on the island. Food is on the tray. Mom's got food too. But what I noticed when uh, the OT I work with um, was kind of coaching and working with mom on some things, I was more observing the child and kind of what she was doing. So... Separate from what was going on with feeding, she would reach to things on the counter that she wanted more of. And again, she's not really responding to sign. I think sign is great. Um, She's not using it, though. I think once in a while it will come, you know, with, with some prompting and modeling But her reaching, I thought, was great and super intentional. So we, you know, mom is great at offering those physical choices. Like, oh, did you want more crackers or more pineapple? And I also wanted to be really careful 
what communication strategies we wanted to implement during mealtime, knowing that mealtime has its own struggles. So if you're new to early intervention, um, don't try to tackle everything in one interaction or in one routine. Sometimes it is just best to pick one priority. Like, what is the priority right now? What do you want her to do? And this mom was super specific. She's like, I want her to use utensils and I want her to drink from a straw. Um, So that was the goal of our visit that day. But um, I was noticing this. And so I asked, I was talking with mom and mom has an older son who has autism. And I, and I had him previously. He's much, much older. Um, but I asked her, I'm like, what do you think of, um, like pictures, like starting with some pictures that she could point to, to communicate, you know, more all done. I want crackers, whatever. And she said to me, I want to stay away from pictures. I don't want to go there. And I was like, okay. She's like, she can get what she, she can communicate the way she is communicating. I just, I just don't want to go there with pictures. And I was like, okay, that's, I can respect that. I said, she's being really intentional with what she wants right now. And you're right. She is communicating. Pictures are symbolic. And I explained, I gave her this feedback. I'm like, pictures are symbolic of words. So sometimes it's that bridge to where we want to get to or that stepping stone that can get us to the next level. Um, But I had to respect the fact that mom didn't want to use them. Now, I posted on Instagram that I I posted the the core board that I used with this one child. And she will, she is also pre-verbal, non-verbal. She has autism. She has lots of outside therapies. Mom was motivated when it, when she got the diagnosis to do whatever she wanted to do or whatever she could do to help her daughter um, communicate. She did a lot of vocal stimming and a lot of vocal posturing with her jaw, with her tongue, um, her sounds. So we were just really far down the path from verbal communication Um, But she had so many good, like, foundational skills. Um, So we introduced a core board to her. um, And in private therapy, they introduced a um, voice output core board on an iPad. And after only several weeks of using it, she was having full-on conversations with her core board and could move between the voice output and just the mat and the and the the pages and it was amazing to see um i've never had a 2 year old argue with me using a core board so for example um we were playing a game and i was like my turn and i pointed to my turn and then she pointed to no my turn and i was like <laughs> And mom and I just kind of looked and we're like, you think, you think that was real? (laughs) And it totally was like, we honored it. Like I was like, no, it's my turn. And then I took a turn and then she told me stop pointing to stop. And then my turn. 
Um, it was really fun to watch on my last visit. She had graduated to even higher level pictures where um, there was a pen on the coffee table and there's a one-year-old sibling. So mom took the pen away because the siblings were going to grab it and fight over it and whatever. And my student pointed to the symbol, something's wrong. That's what the symbol said, something's wrong. And again, you kind of, and I thought it was pretty intentional. I'd never seen her point to that before and mom hadn't either. And it it was kind of like she was just patting it and looking at it and kind of hanging out in that area of the board. And I just said to her, I said her name and I said, something's wrong. What's wrong? And then she went to the objects pictures and she pointed to pencil. So mom took the pencil. She was trying to tell us like, hey, either I want that or why, why did you take that? But she's also two and a half, so a little bit younger than the other one I just went through. But it's all about where parent. you got to meet parents where they're at. But just also know the power in pictures. I am not a fan of pecs. I'll probably get a lot of hate mail or a lot of hate comments on that. Um, I know it's doable. I know all about pecs. Um, <clears throat> been through many, many pecs trainings in the past. But I believe in this population, zero to three, in homes, with caregivers, living everyday life, PAX is not especially um, easy to implement. It's way easy in a classroom. That's like all you do all day. You could, you can do it all day and have it set up and everything's really structured and everything's designed for that. And I know you could do that at home, but what I have seen in my 13-ish years of, um, in this field, early intervention and zero to three, I have yet to see a family that truly implements it. I have seen families want to, And I've worked with my SLPs and worked with the families on setting them up and helping them, practicing it. And with all of the best intentions, mostly, it fails. And I think it's because it's just too cumbersome. And at this age, like if you want to introduce pictures to even a 20-month-old, 21-month-old, Typically, they're getting torn off, they're getting thrown, they're getting eaten, they're getting lost. So it's really difficult to implement. I love the idea of the core board. I've used something similar before I even heard the word core board um, because it's pointing, it's easy, it's accessible, it's easy to take with you. Um, I, I just like it. And if it's voice output, even better. It's funny. Um, so the last student I talked about who argued with me using the core board, um, I mentioned private speech was trialing a voice output device. Um, so the trial was over. So the iPad was gone. So they're working with insurance to, to get one purchased and set up. And so mom said to me, I'm like, well, what are you, how's it going without the iPad? And she said, Oh, I'm just a walking, talking iPad now. She points to the pictures and I just, I say it. (laughs) I just thought 
That was so amazing. That was so cool. You are the walking, talking iPad. Like you are the voice output because she doesn't have a voice. Parents are so cool when they see the power in what they're doing and they feel confident and they feel comfortable. Like I can do this. The mom who said, I want to stay away from pictures isn't there. So whatever she wants to work on, whether it's signing, reaching, pointing, choosing, gesturing, vocalizing, will go with it because that's where she feels the most comfortable. Um, it doesn't mean I might not revisit the topic later, but you got to meet families where they're at. Okay, so I'm going to wrap up with this very last thing because I said I didn't like pecs. What I do like about pecs is the exchange. I do really like that. However, instead of exchanging with pecs, I believe you can work on exchange that exchange, that transactional interaction that happens with communication, that back and forth. You can work on that with anything. It doesn't have to be with pecs and with pictures. It can be with food. It can be with puzzle pieces. Um, it can be with anything that the child is interested in. Cars, markers, crayons, chalk. Um, my turn, your turn, go, stop, more. Um, it, it's just that transaction of pieces and objects going back and forth, I do think is really good. Um and it is a, a skill needed for communication and conversation, the ability to go back and forth and exchange. Um, but I don't, I think that can be done better than with pecs, at least at this population and this age. Okay, I am going to wrap it up now for real. And this episode was inspired by someone who sent me a message about wanting to know more about strategies. If there is something you're interested in hearing about, let me know, send me a message, send me an email, and we'll chat about it. We'll talk about it. I'll research it, um, pose it out to the community and see what other people are doing. Um, so just, I love the interaction I get on Instagram, sometimes through email. That works too. You can email me at E-R-I-K-A-B-O-8-0 at gmail.com. Um, but Instagram works great. And I hope you check out another episode of Rainbows and Rain.